Hey, Sam. Hi, Alistair. You're right. Hi, I'm I'm warm. <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be real. We are uncomfortable, hot, and sweaty. We're uncomfortable, hot. It's after 10 p.m. This is the latest episode of Hula La we've ever recorded, <laughs> largely just to avoid sunlight hours, <laughs> so we don't pass out recording this one. Oh my God. But in doing so, we've had to turn off all the fans, shut all the windows for the audio quality. So we're gonna be like progressively more delusional as this one goes on. I fear. I think so too. We're gonna start the episode like super chipper and chatty and then as like the room temperature rises we're both going to start looking like the pilot i mean we're both going to be dripping and like screaming yeah a lot. yeah truly in line with the theme of this episode which is uh an alien made of water that that is that's pretty much how we're going to be looking by the end of this one we're going to be looking damp honey. <laughs> that's definitely camp or damp is going to be real easy with this one yeah sam Dive right in for us. Where are we? What are we doing this week? Well, we are continuing the Pride celebration train throughout all of the month. We want every single episode of Hulala this month to do with Pride and queer history and all of those lovely things. And what better way to celebrate Pride by looking at the first episode of the first openly lesbian companion, Miss Bill Potts. Woohoo! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I think this is also a cool opportunity to visit the Capaldi era, which we've never done before either. I was thinking that earlier. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, that we haven't been here yet. But um, really cool as well to do Bill Potts because we really haven't talked very much about her despite her being the first openly lesbian companion. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited to get into this one. Me too. I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, I was thinking earlier, it's weird that we've like, we've certainly throughout like Modern Who anyway, we've we've looked at Matt Smith, we've looked at Jodie Whittaker, we've looked at Christopher Eccleston, looked at David Tennant, but we just have somehow managed, you know, with like 30 odd episodes into this podcast, we've never looked at Capaldi. So I'm excited to really dive into Bill Potts because also, and I'll say this, I think it's similar for you. This was the era, I, for me anyway, where I was still obviously watching Doctor Who and everything. I watched it every week, but I didn't go back and rewatch these. This very much wasn't in my my, like repertoire of like rewatches and uh, I genuinely have not seen this episode since I last saw it when it aired on TV so this it, it, I feel like I can look at this yeah. very objectively I've seen a few clips since but I agree I was in my second year of uni when this came out and that was an incredibly long time ago actually no not even that I think I was in my final year of uni <laughs> so this was a good six years ago now it's crazy and Weird how time flies. But yeah, I was also trailing off a bit with Doctor Who. I was kind of someone who wanted to keep watching and, and will keep watching forever because <laughs> I, I'll always want to know kind of what happens next in the story. Yeah. But I remember feeling myself kind of drop out a bit around this time. So it is interesting because something we've said before is we can't see a lot of Doctor Who without being kind of blinded by nostalgia. Last week we covered <laughs> Fear Her, which is a pretty contentious <laughs> episode. And, you know, you may well argue that we are kind of bathing in nostalgia for that one. But um, it's interesting because this is probably one one of the ones that we're viewing the most objectively yeah no i think that's fair i think that's fair it was quite funny talking about fear here i was reading through the comments um on the last uh, video I, I, everyone i love reading all your comments and everything and someone just commented saying like i think the caption we chosen for it was like hot take fear her is a good episode and they were like well i wouldn't go as far as to say good but it isn't as bad as people think like <laughs> I, saw. I thought that was a very sweet like, way of yeah. saying they didn't like it <laughs> yeah they people were very polite in disagreeing with us on that one um a lot of people dm me privately to say that they thought i was unwell so um <laughs> some of the less courteous discourse came my way as well well oh, bless not in public that one not public mm-hmm. well i am actually happy to say with this one 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Like like I said, I haven't watched it since I originally saw it and I don't remember loving it. And I was getting ready to watch this and I was like, oh, whatever, like it'll be fine. It actually is very, very good. Yeah, I agree. I had a lot more highs than I thought I would. I think I've realised what's tricky as well about this era, or at least kind of I would say for me, series six or seven onwards, is mm. that they feel so recent and look like recent TV looks that... It is judged, I think, quite harshly, at least in terms of the visuals, because it looks like modern telly. Yeah. And at least when you watch, I think, like Naughty's Doctor Who, it's so obviously dated that they can get away with some things because you can kind of write it off as, ah, the Naughties, the Naughties. <laughs> and ah, that's just what we had back then. Ah, that's just what CGI looked like. And um, I think with the more recent stuff, it really sticks out when some stuff has already aged a bit poorly when it was only six years ago. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. I agree. I think that this one is the it, the tail end of Capaldi's era, especially after Clara left, I feel like was heading into a new era of Doctor Who. And it's quite funny. People say that um, with his series finale that he regenerated into going into like, I think like episode three of Jodie's era, those all happened across four days. It was yes. just four days of the Doctor's life. And it's a it one just, four day adventure. Exactly. The one four day adventure. And I feel like this series of Doctor Who series 10 really started to head into that direction. Whereas I feel like the story Mm. really arguably from like series five to series nine, like that story became complete, I think. And um, yeah, it's a lot harder to forgive when something sticks out like a sore thumb when it's looking this, this fine and fresh and fine and fresh is a word I will not use for every aspect of this episode visually, but we will get into that. Yes. So this week we're looking at the pilot from Doctor Who series 10, episode 1. Pilot, or the pilot, is actually the most common name of any episode across all series of TV because (laughs) so many shows open with an episode literally called Pilot, or in fact a joke around the The pilot. pilot. So there's a lot uh, of episodes with the same name. This came out on the 15th of April, 2017. That doesn't feel that long ago. And then when you say like, that was what, like six years ago or something, 17, 18. My entire working life. Your entire working life. Exactly. Your entire working life has happened since Bill Potts. I graduated a couple months after this. And that feels like a very long time ago in my life. Mm, I was still at uni because I did a foundation year as well at the beginning. So this was like knee deep in the middle of like my uni experience but i feel like this was around the same time class came out or maybe even just after yes it was it was in the same year i think yeah wow what a time that wasn't great (laughs) and that wasn't great we'll have that's another who episode right there but that's another conversation (laughs) that's a story for another time so the director for this episode was Lawrence Gow, who also directed shows like Misfits, Endeavour and Atlantis. Of course, as usually with a series open, it was written by the showrunner, Stephen Moffat. Uh, we had 10.81 million viewers and an IMDb score of 7.8. That's a lot of viewers for kind of like recent TV where streaming was kind of the norm. I wonder if that's kind of overnight or like consolidated figures that include streaming i was thinking that who too. knows a bit a big reason why i think that it had such high viewings is i was gonna wait until fun facts list but it kind of slides in here uh this was the longest gap between regular episodes and not including christmas specials since doctor who had come back so i believe that the last episode to air before this that wasn't a christmas special was on the 5th of december 2015 so it was about two years oh wow yeah so i think That's that might a really be why gap, that was, actually yeah, I think that might be why there was such a big, like, viewing for this. They were like, Doctor Who's back. Yeah, I think Peter Capaldi had quite a pull as well, given that he's 
just an actor with a real name behind him as well. I think that mm. that drew in kind of a lot of wider audiences as well to watch him. Yeah, I think he's the only Doctor Who actor to play a Doctor that has an Academy Award. Oh, wow. That's a good mm. fact. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I know. Sam, take <laughs> us through. <laughs> take us into the plot. Cool. Well, as always, I always say, if you haven't watched the episode recently, just go and watch it. And especially this one. I think this is one... I don't hear a lot of rumblings about people talking about this episode in particular, but I would definitely say it's worth a rewatch. Uh, but for anyone who hasn't seen the episode recently, here's a quick summary. We meet Bill Potts, a canteen assistant at Bristol University, where the Doctor had been lecturing, some say for almost 70 years, with his faithful friend Nardole at his side. Bill has been sitting in on lectures, and noticing her curiosity, despite not being a student, the Doctor agrees to become her personal tutor. Bill meets Heather, a student at the university, and quickly develop an affection for each other. However, mystery ensues when Heather discovers a strange puddle that shows her reflection, but not quite as it should be. Heather becomes possessed by the puddle, which the Doctor realises is sentient alien fuel. The fuel consumes Heather, making her the physical embodiment of a pilot, with a mission to take Bill Potts along with her. After being pursued by the puddle creature, the Doctor takes Bill in the TARDIS across time and space to see how far it will go to chase her. Realising it will never stop and can time travel, he lures it into the middle of a Dalek battle to try and destroy it. Bill realises the creature doesn't mean to harm her, it just wants to keep its promise to Bill that it wouldn't leave her. She lets it go by saying goodbye to Heather, and the Doctor takes her back to the modern day. The Doctor attempts to wipe Bill's memories to stay hidden, but after Bill protests this, he agrees that she can keep them, and eventually decides that she can join him in the TARDIS for another ride. Ooh, it's the start. This is the start of something new. It feels, feels so right to, to be here with the TARDIS. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I liked this episode a lot more. A, a big high, and again, I think a reason why we wanted to watch this episode for Pride Month, if you don't mind me jumping in with a high, that I think you'll probably agree with anyway. Oh, please. Is Pearl Mackey's yeah. performance as Bill. I think that Bill is a widely underrated companion. I know she has a big following, but I, you know, her name isn't thrown around in the same breath as like Martha, Donna, Rose, Amy. And I think that she was such a good companion. And in this episode in particular, it's such an amazing range of performance. She's really funny. There's some really sweet emotional scenes, some good, very, very good on-screen crying from Pearl Mackey. Oh, yes. And I think that she's great. Yeah, I think she's fantastic. I mean, I agree broadly. I went into this. My flatmates were there. And I think I remember a sense there were some really dodgy episodes that came out around this time. And I remember we had some non-Who fans watching in our... <laughs> student house when I put this on and they're a bit like oh my god what is happening and I, I remember at the time thinking yeah like it's not the best um this isn't a good one and I think I'd assumed it was a similar situation here because like you I haven't been back for a while and I said to them both like I'm gonna be a real hater this week I think I was like don't judge the whole show on this and then <laughs> actually going into it I've got a lot of highs coming from it as well and I agree I've got lots of nice comments on um Paul Mackey's performance and the character of Bill as well mm. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that she often gets written off as being the the quote unquote lesbian character where that because she is so vocal about her sexuality, not even in this episode, but just like generally in the season, I definitely have had conversations with Who fans and people who are like more casual Who fans where they're like, Oh, I hate Bill. She's just known as like the lesbian and and she just spends the whole time talking about her sexuality. But she really doesn't. She just spends her life living the life of someone who has that sexuality, just in the same way that a straight yeah. person spends their life living in the life of a straight person or a gay man lives a nice gay man or a non-binary person living life more like they're just living their life and i think that 
yeah. quite an uh, unfair criticism that Bill often faces is that she is just the quote-unquote lesbian companion and that's all she's really got going for her. And I think that really diminishes Stephen Moffat's writing, Pearl Mackey's performance, and also just what they built for Bill as a companion because she's so much more than her sexuality, despite the fact that that is an amazing aspect of her character. Um, and it's a very like harsh and unfair criticism, I think. Yeah, I'm surprised that that is a criticism because, at least in this episode, I just feel like it's a core part of who she is early on and not something that she talks about in any terms other than that she is attracted to a woman and that's kind of an an easy part of, well, actually, I think she refers to being attracted to two women in this. Mm. Um, But only in a way that, yeah, as you say, a straight character would do as well. I don't think, like, the word lesbian or gay is even used anywhere in this episode hmm. so um that's interesting um i think there's like one comment said where the foster mum says you need to keep your eye on men from the foster mum and <laughs> she says i'm like well men aren't really my interest um but yeah i think there's a lot more to the characterization of bill that i really like i think the things that stand out that feel distinctive from other companions i think one is her curiosity i really like so hmm. one of the things the doctor said that caught his attention is that most people frown when there's something they don't know in a lecture but bill smiles i thought that was really nice and bill continues that curiosity she asks loads of questions all the time and it's really endearing so it's kind of taking that classic companion trope that they're there to kind of be the viewer's way in and ask questions but makes that a really endearing part of her character Mm -hmm. the bit i specifically really liked one bit i specifically really liked is when she challenges him on the TARDIS acronym when they're in Australia and she's like you know you but you can't be from another planet it doesn't make any sense because if you're from another planet why would you name it TARDIS that acronym doesn't make any sense in any language other than English <laughs> and uh it's like kind of like, he's kind of like stumped by it he's like not really sure how to explain that um which I just thought was really funny I thought there's like some really good comedy in that as well yeah for sure I think that she brings a lot of funny clara was really funny as well and clara and the doctor had a really great dynamic but i think that it's a very fresh dynamic especially with peter capaldi's doctor because he has tended to be the kind of walk in the line of the grumpy doctor and then he can be really silly within that too especially with like the electric guitar but i think bill is just quite funny and very like chatty and a bit mouthy in, a, in like a really good way and i think that takes the doctor back especially since he's recently been hanging out with nardole the whole time who's, who basically is just there to like do what the doctor asks him to do and to be quite honest i love you matt lucas i don't really know what else he's doing there um so i think he is a bit taken aback by bill but like in a in a good way yeah i i like that bill brings kind of a natural like joyfulness i think to the screen i guess following on from clara clara by the end was almost able to be the doctor on her own because she was so advanced in her journey Mm. as a companion and I've been traveling with the doctor for so long and become so knowledgeable and so confident. And it's kind of nice that Bill is clearly at the start of her journey. Her curiosity lends itself to that as well, that she's on the back foot. And that makes it, mm. I think, a bit more of an interesting dynamic to start with as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the tragedy of being yeah. a companion is that when you travel with the doctor for so long, and, and they very openly spoke about this, like with Rose, for example, you lose who you used to be and you become this whole new mm. entity that is essentially an extension of the doctor. 
and people say all the time that the doctor creates warriors and soldiers and you aren't really by the end of your journey in however way you depart the show you're not the character you started and there's always so much fun i think when a new companion comes in i think bill is a very fresh set of eyes that that's like refreshing for both the doctor and the audience yeah some more things i really like here another high for me one it's a kind of like student teacher dynamic i think is really nice Mm. so there's a picture of Susan, the doctor's granddaughter, on his desk. Mm. And there isn't a grandfather relationship here, I wouldn't say. But the student-teacher dynamic is really nice in the way that the doctor tells Nardole he's teaching her everything. And yeah. I think the doctor is a really interesting lecturer, obviously, because he has such a unique perspective on the universe, which is very profound. And I like his whole perspective on like physics and poetry. He's like, yeah. oh, of course they make sense they rhyme and when he says to nod all he's teaching her everything he's like how are you going to teach her everything and he's like everything rhymes and <laughs> i i like the kind of like the fluffiness of that i think is very nice and very doctory and it's just interesting as well because it's not like totally clear what his end goal with that is because it's like teaching her for for what reason you know teaching her so that she can travel with you one day and ask the right questions or just teaching her because you want to have someone to talk to and someone to mentor or or mm. what so it's interesting as well because there's like that curiosity around like what his intention is with her yeah for that. it's a weird one i think that we've spoken about this before i think stephen moffat tends to write the doctor meeting a new companion and I think less so with Bill, but arguably with Bill, so with all three of uh, the main companions of the Doctor, so Amy, Clara and Bill, which were uh, Stephen Moffat's main companions, they all have some kind of mystery to them and something the Doctor has to solve or figure out. And I think that can be a bit of an icky dynamic sometimes, but I think with Bill, it's it's less... I don't use the word creepy because that seems like a bit intense. It's it's less of a mystery about Bill and more of the Doctor just trying to work her out as a person. It's not like there's like a quote-unquote problem with her. She intrigues him. Yes. And I think that that is in, an interesting enough reason for the Doctor to want to keep her around. And I think that these like quote-unquote tutoring sessions are his way of saying, you know, he's told himself I'm going to stick to Earth. For which, you know, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know why the Doctor's in the universe. We don't know why he has to stay on Earth. But he has said, I'm going to stay on Earth. And I think when he would normally... You see this all the time with David Tennant's Doctor. He meets someone he likes and he's like, come with me in the TARDIS. Like, you know, come on, Kylie, yeah. come in the TARDIS. I think this is the Doctor's way of having bill as his companion while keeping to the oath he'd made of himself to be bound to earth yes that makes sense i think that's really interesting what you just said as well about companions who had some kind of circumstance that made the doctor take them away yeah so clara he kind of like couldn't resist the mystery of why he kept meeting her and he took her away so that he could kind of like observe her up close yeah with amy he kind of arrives and there's this crack in her wall and she has this impossible life with no family and that intrigues her and he whisks her away and doesn't tell her why he's doing that really but with bill what attracts him is her outlook like her perspective her curiosity is what he finds interesting there's Mm -hmm. nothing circumstantial about her it's actually her approach that is interesting to him i think that's Mm -hmm. quite refreshing yeah i think so too does that sound pretentious or do you get what i'm saying no 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 i completely agree with saying i think that doesn't she say that thing about um 
like when you're traveling you can like smell the wind on them or something she said my mum always said that yeah and he said oh how did you know that your mum always said that she died when you were a baby and she was like well she says it in my head and like 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 as if it's completely normal and yeah like what like why wouldn't you get that and i think that she just has a really refreshing yeah. outlook that grabs the doctor's curiosity rather than say a problem that he is trying to like like you said observe and she's an outsider and the doctor's always kind of attracted Mm. to an outsider or an underdog and the way she's not a student she's just in that environment because she wants to be close to it because she always dreamed about going to university there but didn't get the grades and so she kind of settles working in the canteen instead just to feel near it and kind of peeks in on lectures she's not meant to be in of course he's drawn to that yeah you know, there's a bit of like a rebelliousness in that as well she's not supposed to be in those lectures but she drops in anyway yeah of course he loves that no i think so too can i say one thing that i didn't like yes and i i've briefly touched on it and i think you might agree um much as i love him why the hell is matt lucas here i do have a note here right and my note is low Matt Lucas, why are you here, my love? I <laughs> don't know why this decision was made. I I mean, the character of Noddle, a little bit funny, but just like a very odd dynamic with the Doctor having this kind of like pet in yeah. Noddle that he isn't like friendly towards. It's kind of his like weird assistant. They're not mates. Um, the dynamic is very confusing to me. Um, and... and Nardole's, I don't know, like a little bit of a creepy character. I don't know if that's yeah. just like Matt Lucas, but it's not great vibes. <laughs> I think it's weird. Like, I mean, I think I need to rewatch the a couple of episodes that preceded this because I know that we first met Nardole with River Song. He was like a similar type of assistant, but for River Song. And I think that maybe that's why the Doctor keeps him around because he's, I think... Was he always a robot or did he die and then become a robot? I can't remember. I, I truly don't remember. I really don't. I know he ends up with his head in the in the big red robot in the Wedding of River Song. Oh, yeah. But I think that that might be that the Nardole we met at the beginning of the episode was a person, like a human and or an alien, but like, like organic anyway. And then he became a robot. Like the Doctor saved him. And I think maybe the Doctor likes to keep him around because it's an extension of River Song and it's an exten- extension of this love that he had. Um, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't treat Nardol nice or with respect. And mm. I, I do like, you do get a funny, a couple of funny like one-liners from Matt Lucas. And Matt Lucas is an amazing performer. I love them as an actor and also like on just like reality television. Um, but I think that beyond a couple like one-liners, it also gets a bit silly sometimes. There's the bit where they go to uh, meet the Daleks and Nardole's like, nowhere but there. I don't like it there. <laughs> and it feels almost like a little Britain sketch. And it's like, this is a weird yeah. vibe. Yeah, I I don't I don't love it. Like I really wouldn't miss if Nardole wasn't here for this episode at all. This mm. this would work just fine if he wasn't. So I don't think Nardole adds a huge bunch to this yeah. one. I agree. And I think that Doctor Who often likes to do a TARDIS trio and we hadn't had that in a while because it had just been the Doctor and Clara. Um, and I think people love, you know, the Doctor Amy and Rory, the Doctor Rose and Captain Jack or th- those kinds of trios. And I think that they maybe just wanted this series to have a trio. But again, I think that's a bit of a disservice to Pearl Mackey because I think that her, her character as Bill is fully 
established enough to she could be the Martha of the series or the Donna of the series. But yeah. I think making her share the screen time with Nardole when Nardole isn't even a fully fleshed out character kind of cheapens it mm. a bit. And it, it almost comes across to me like they didn't trust that people would want to watch it enough if there wasn't a big name attached. Because Matt Lucas is a big name. And I think that mm. that's how it comes across to me. Let me, while we've referred to it, talk about one more low for me, which is the Dalek scene. And I think this is the kind of thing that lends itself to the theory people have that they have to include Daleks in every series or they lose the rights because <laughs> the Dalek inclusion. Yeah, the Dalek inclusion was super weird. So I had a few issues with the scene. One, it's the same old kind of time war Dalek design, nothing fresh, nothing different done. This was actually a great opportunity to use like a classic Dalek design because they brought mm. back another classic character in this. The Mavellans. I was so that's the Mavellans. So like, why didn't you bring in like classic Daleks for that? Would have been a cool little addition. But no, it's the bronze Time well, War Daleks, which is a little dull. Okay, I'm gonna get like super nerdy for like one second. So I've watched. There's a lot of videos online where you can watch like a chronological timeline of the Daleks and their interactions with the Doctor. And their war with the Mavellans was uh, during the fourth Doctor's era in the 70s. And they actually had like a lot of battles with them, I think, off screen and expanded media like comics and stuff. But then the war ended before the Time War. And then obviously, like you mentioned, these like gold Daleks of the Time War design. And there's a really clever line, like if the, if you get that from Peter Capaldi in this episode where uh, Bill says, are we still in the future? And he goes, no, we're in the past now. And she goes, well, this doesn't look like the past. Yeah. And that's why I completely agree with you. I really think it would have been smart to use a classic Dalek because the bronze, been cool. the bronze time you, war Daleks. You came never with your facts them. today. I came with facts, Mama. The bronze time war, like Daleks, by the by the time they existed, their war with the Mavellans had already finished, and the Doctor references that in this. He says this is an old war, like this is history, and so yeah, I think waste opportunity. I think it was it was a bit like cheap to just grab. You, you can tell they just grabbed it out of storage, and they were like, "Chuck in a Dalek, put it on there." <laughs> Yeah, my other issues with this one would be the set design here is a bit dull. It's just a corridor in a way mm. that isn't very interesting to look at at all. Um, I just thought that was a bit drab. They could have done something interesting there. Um, also, the Doctor dropping in on a war and helping nobody, that doesn't sit well with me. The mm. Doctor is always staunchly anti-war, and I think, you know, if he wants to stay out of an event, fair play but the point he inserts himself very odd that people are being exterminated around him and he goes never mind them is a direct quote yeah. <laughs> like, people are dead people are dead people are and dead. i found that really really strange uh you know for a doctor to drop in on an event and and not help anyone i didn't love that um i also didn't love bill being put in harm's way there's a point where the dalek fires towards the two of them and he kind of yanks bill to the side and she only just dodges the laser beam from the Dalek that felt weird I mm. think in reality on a first trip the doctor would in reality I'm sorry I just <laughs> caught myself uh, <laughs> Look, no, in, let's be real this isn't this is serious what would the doctor really do I'm so sorry I, I clearly am not well it's the heat <laughs> it's the heat happen. we're all in heat <laughs> I feel like it would be more true to the character for the Doctor to insist that she stays on the TARDIS and like watches through the TARDIS cam or something. Yeah. I think bringing her to a skirmish with Daleks, very strange, very risky. Don't know why he would do that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I also think it, we've spoken about it before on the podcast as well about um, our issues with what the Daleks have become. 
where they're just not scary anymore. Like when you think back to the episode Dalek in 2005 and how much fear the Doctor has and now he kind of like zooms this woman that he barely knows and says, oh, I've got old friends there. Well, sort of friends. And then like it's Daleks. I also think, and again, this might just be me being really pernickety. I think that the soundbite they use when you first hear the Daleks before you see them and it goes, the Doctor is detected. I think that's literally a soundbite taken from the day of the Doctor when uh, John oh, Hurt's God, you came with your research I, today. I really, really did. And it's, so it just feels... My goodness, super... do we know too much, perhaps? <laughs> Should we, are... we go outside a bit more? <laughs> touch grass. <laughs> this is my note touch to grass. touch grass. You... Um, yeah, no, it, 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 the whole thing just felt like cheap to me. Cheap in a story sense, cheap in a financial sense, and cheap in a... Oh. It, it felt like it wasn't planned out well, so they had to pull that soundbite out of the audio library because they were like, oh, shoot, we should probably put something in. Like, I know, I'm dragging God. the scene. I know. You I'm hated coming, it. You hated I, it. I really didn't like it, but I came uh, with knowledge, so it's a, it's a based opinion. <laughs> I didn't love it either. I think, I wonder if in the sense that it was called the pilot and maybe they wanted to create a new jumping on point. Maybe they felt that, you know, if you're a new who viewer, a new who viewer, am I okay? If you're a new <laughs> on, Henry. who viewer, good Lord, that's hard to say, <laughs> that perhaps having Daleks in the first episode would help you kind of get into it. I don't know what yeah, they were right. thinking. Um, let, let me swing back to another high because I do have a really good one here that I need to mention. Yeah, yeah. And we've just given a couple of lows. Mm. For me personally, this is the best ever TARDIS entrance. When they both go <gasps> oh. into the TARDIS and Bill thinks it's a box and then it pans back and back and back and back through this dark space and you can just see Bill Ill. And you can just see Bill in a box in the very corner of the screen and then all the light starts to turn on and the TARDIS is revealed. And the dialogue that she has as well kind of pressed up against the glass going, oh, they're made of wood. <laughs> They've got windows. <laughs> and she doesn't think that, you know, she'd be safe inside this thing. Of course you wouldn't. Yeah. And then turning around, you have this beautiful um, theme kicks in. It's not the 12th Doctor's theme. I thought of you when I was watching this because it's, it's um, from the... F- second series i think i know the no it's not i think it's amy's i think it's oh amy's it's amy's music. that's it. it's amy's music yeah it's 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 the impossible no the impossible music. yeah it's amy's theme i think and i thought of you when i watched it because i remember thinking this isn't like a piece of music of this era this is a callback i'm not sure but it's but yes there's a gorgeous piece of interlude music yes so the other thing I really love about the scene is presumably the Doctor has kind of been grounded for decades at this point and not supposed to be doing any trips in the TARDIS. And you turn around, the Doctor is kind of adjusting his cufflinks and just delighted to be back behind the controls and turning mm. it all back on and taking her off standby. And my favourite line in this whole thing is that you're safe. You're safe in here and you always will be. I just, I love that line so much. Mm. It's that real sense of like the TARDIS is home. The TARDIS is your sanctuary. You're always welcome in here. I just, oh, I love the delivery. Like that is the loveliest, warmest moment. And then just how proud he is of this thing as well. Like Mm -hmm. it's science beyond magic. I was like, oh. And so the question she asks as well, is this a knockthrough? I think this is where Stephen Moffat's writing really is delicious when he really leans into the like fanciful fairy tale 
magical elements doctor because it is yes. a sci-fi show and i think it's really funny that like bill keeps like leaning into that she's like oh i bet you're not a fan of sci-fi and then us as the audience are like oh this is a sci-fi show huh? but oh. but like i think those little moments where like the doctor talks about how you know physics rhymes and how uh it's magic and uh, like that is where i think Stephen moffat's writing really does shine i totally agree and she does this kind of like fabulous semi-realistic reaction the most realistic ever we kind of said was probably rose arriving in the tarnas and just sobbing um, <laughs> but it's kind of a downer yeah. so you can't do that every time mm. the other part of course is where they they move and she goes this isn't just a box is it this is a lift and i love that that's probably kind of how you'd think about it mm. and even later when she realizes it's not just confined to going up and down and she's like wait this box can go anywhere can't it anywhere at all in the whole university (laughs) (laughs) no not quite and then he's like is it me or is this taking longer than normal and then when she gets it and And they both um, like look at each other and they're like oh there you go and then she gets it and 12 and nod all go hey hey and they give each other a little handshake outside the vault i really really like that I really, really like, I thought that was so funny. I, I love seeing how they do, you, you know, it's a box that's bigger on the inside than it is the outside. You, there's only, it feels like there's only so many ways that you can react to it. And I always, I always get excited when you see, I, I'm not a huge fan of like, r- correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when Yaz, Graham and Ryan walk into the TARDIS uh, in the ghost monument, they just kind of like all walk in and are like, <gasps> and they're just like looking around like, and whereas like this, I think is such a fun Tardis reaction like I think Steve Moffat does them really well like when when um Clara comes in but it's the Clara the Victorian Clara and she's like the outside's smaller than the inside and he's like okay that that's yes. a first like I think he writes those yeah. really well yeah I totally agree with you I think it's, it's such a great fun moment and yeah. yeah I don't love people just coming in and kind of gawping at it I think there has to be some kind of grand reaction because it's quite an earth-shattering concept to get your head around oh, completely. and you can have a lot of fun with it yeah one mixed point in this episode for me is the pilot slash Heather so the pilot is creepy like mm. the the villain the creature, the pilot, is creepy when we look into the puddle and we see her drowned face kind of bob oh, up towards yeah, the surface. Like screaming, yeah. Yeah, and this whole scene where she thinks there's an intruder in her house and then there's just water going down the drain and then she leans up real close to the drain and there's an eye looking back at her and then when it follows her and she's kind of in the dark at night and she's looking across this field and this thing has somehow found it's like her. It's misty. And it's misty and she talks to it and says you're dead and then it echoes back you're dead and it's Mm. like bill's realization you're dead and then it echoes back as you're dead as in i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you (laughs) that is so creepy and i really like that however i felt the character of heather somewhat undermined this because i feel that we barely got to know heather you know, we have Bill totally infatuated with her, but we didn't really see anything that was that likable about Heather as far as I could see. Mm-hmm. She was kind of like a outsider, kept herself to herself, but she didn't really deliver a lot of warmth towards Bill at all. There were no real kind of like discernible traits that would make her attracted to Heather, apart from the fact she was like really pretty and they came face to face once in a bar. Yeah. And that was kind of it. So the crush wasn't super believable. The crush you know heather the character of heather was kind of creepy right from the meat and i felt there wasn't almost like enough of a transition when heather became possessed yeah i i'm not sure where the possessing took place which isn't a great thing no i com- i completely agree with you i i think 
purely from like the hair and makeup like when you first meet heather she's very like glammed up for the night out uh whereas obviously then as she like leans into being possessed i think the last time we see her as human is when bill says to her you know don't don't leave without me and she's kind of got like you can see like they've done the makeup she's got like crusty lips and she's very pale and like her hair's all flat so i think that must be like where like heather died but i think that's a really good point i completely agree that she was already quite a dry unlikable character anyway that there wasn't a big transition between that and when she was possessed i think this might have worked like this concept might have worked better if it was a few episodes in for example like if danny pink had died in the first episode we met him when he was just a bit of like a grumpy soldiery teacher that wasn't very likable when you first meet him it wouldn't have had anywhere near the impact that it had when he got hit by the car. I mean, spoiler alert, sorry for Clara's era of Doctor Who a few seasons before this. Um, <laughs> but then when he does die, as an audience member, we're like, oh shit, like Danny's dead. Whereas in this, it was like, oh shit, that girl is made out of water now. Like yeah. it felt to me a little bit like a less good version of The Waters of Mars, if I'm honest. Yeah. And the other part is that I'm still unclear on kind of the actual status of Heather. I mean, when we get to the very end of the series, Heather returns and has a lot more kind of character to her. She's no longer kind of dripping wet, but she's also kind of smiling and conversational and seems like a complete person now. And it's kind of unclear, like, did did Heather die or did Heather change? I'm not really mm. clear. So I, I think there's a concept here that isn't explained as well as it could be. Yeah, I, I want to rewatch this series as a whole because I do remember her coming back at the end. And I think, I really do think we need to like do a whole episode on the two-part finale for this because I really, with the Sidemen and the Masters, because I really enjoyed it. But I think that obviously Bill, beca- like again, spoiler alert for the end of this series, I think that Bill obviously becomes a Sideman and like kind of dies, but then her spirit gets taken by Heather and like they then end up in like eternal bonding and they travel the universe together as water or something like that question mark yeah i think that yeah happens. it was very strange it, it, she's kind of like evolved into just being like a very like powerful kind of like goddess who can go anywhere and do anything and reconstruct herself in any form by the end who's like mm. mastered her powers it's uh it's a bit confusing and i mean i didn't feel like the concept was explained well in this episode when he's like ah oh, it's a super intelligent engine fuel left behind by a ship that's taken a person i was like ah. yeah no so, I, I agree i, I don't agree. know I'll expand one more thing. Okay. One more little low on the back of this is that the water effects, honey, they ain't oh, good. They ain't good. No, the CJ, this the scene when they're on the alien planet, and I really like that planet. Like the, there's those weird, and I I like when Doctor Who does something alien and doesn't explain it, and they have those weird like crystally CGI things around them to show they're on mm-hmm. an alien planet. But then the puddle like explodes and starts to morph into like I guess a face. But mama, mother goose, mother doll, it does not look good. Not even that. I feel like even in that scene, to be honest, I think a lot of the CGI in this episode was lackluster. Like, it, that was the most obviously a quarry scene <laughs> that we've had in a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, a, it was pure colour-graded quarry. And they had these, like, fake, like, aloe plants in the background that were kind of, like, bobbing around in the mm. background, looking very artificial. I didn't love the visuals. They kind of took me out of it for this one. So... 
that wasn't strong. No, I agree. Do you remember in, I think it was Army of Ghosts, when you see the little montage of the Doctor and Rose doing adventures that we never got to see on screen, and they're on this alien planet, and there's like pterodactyls flying around them. Yes, and it's literally, I do, and it looks similar to this. But better. It's like 20 seconds. It's just when the Doctor says, it how long are you going to be with me? It but did it looks look better. better than this. It feels more like a real alien world, whereas I completely agree with you. But this, is, this harpens back to my point from earlier. A lot of the negatives I have for this episode is that it felt cheap in so many ways, like in budget, but also like in certain storytelling. And, and I think that the highs for this episode are very, very high. But I think a reason why I didn't really like it when I first watched it is that it really just felt cheap and like maybe even rushed. I like, I'd be really interested to look into the proper behind the scenes of this series because I know there were rumours that Peter Capaldi wasn't really enjoying it, I think, by this point. And Stephen Moffat clearly was like, knowing that he wanted to leave. And I wonder how the production was for this series behind the scenes. Yes, that would be pretty interesting. I mean, I know that they've now, we said this last week as well, they've deliberately given themselves a much, much longer lead time on Mm. doing the post-production now, which I think is necessary to get really quality stuff that competes with a lot of the other things that are on streaming services at the moment, because people do expect cinema quality CGI from television now. And maybe this was kind of during that transition period where they thought they could get away with some things because it wasn't cinema, it was telly. But I think people now expect things to be on par and look entirely believable on TV as well, especially like for a, for a high budget sci-fi. So No, exactly. I It's, yeah, it's interesting to, to look back at now, especially like we were saying before, without like nostalgia kind of clouding whether or not it's good. I think that like we can quite objectively see what the highs are in this episode and actually recognise them as being really good, but then also see what wasn't working. And if I, and if I may circle back to another high, because um, I feel like I don't want to da- <laughs> be shitting on this episode too much for saying that it's just cheap. I love, to go back again to Bill and uh, Pearl Mackey, I adore... I adore, adore, adore the costuming for Bill. I think that all of her outfits throughout the whole season are amazing, but especially in this episode, her hair is iconic, like the denim jacket with the pit. It felt very much like they designed it thinking of classic Doctor Who. I'm thinking Ace. I'm thinking Tegan. I'm thinking thinking, Ace. I'm thinking Ace. I'm thinking... Uh, Perry. I'm thinking Ace. I'm thinking Ace. <laughs> I've just, I really, really. I'm still adore thinking it. Ace. <laughs> I re- I really just adore her costume design, and um, I, I think that it's, it, it, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I think that the, the when she has like the multicolored rainbow vest on towards the end of the episode, and uh, I, I just think it's so recognizable and like a lot of companions have i think like their outfit like you know how donna has like the orange coat and marth has like the red jacket and i think that this is just such an iconic companion costume yeah i see that i i agree with that actually there's there's i think as well the striped kind of colored rainbow Mm -hmm. top she's wearing at the end of this one i think she carries on wearing that through the next episode as well and that's one of her best looks i really really like that one yeah no she don't oh god i just just had to remember the next episode is attack of the emoji bots (laughs) (laughs) a really good part of this for me as well that follows on from the end of the last series with clara is the memory wipe so the doctor kind of nonchalantly goes over to just kind of wipe her memory and it's like no come here bill and she's like whoa i know what you're doing don't you dare like that's you're doing a memory wipe aren't you he's like (laughs) maybe and then there's you know a bit of a conversation there about consent and that that's 
really creepy and really invasive. And it harks back to something that Clara said to the Doctor in, I want to say Hellbent, mm-hmm. where the Doctor and Clara come to the conclusion that they need to step away from each other and they gamble with one of them losing their memories of the other and it's in the end the doctor who loses his memories of clara rather than clara losing her memories of the doctor Mm. and one of the things clara says i might have misquoted this but it's very similar to tomorrow is promised to no one but i insist upon my past Mm -hmm. and she's basically saying like i'd rather you didn't try and save me but I got to keep kind of all the things we did before. Then yeah. you save me and wipe my memories. I don't want that. I want to keep my history and remember who I am. So when that line is said, when Bill in this one goes, imagine how it would feel if someone did this to you. There's a little twinkling of Clara's theme playing there. And mm. presumably as well for him, a bit of a throwback to Donna. And I think it'll be very interesting with the upcoming series to see how mm-hmm. the Doctor wrestles with this because there have now been two occasions on which the Doctor has wiped people's memories and gone for a third <laughs> and hopefully now has realised that that's bad because I guess every time non-consensual as yeah. well. So, you know, pretty invasive. No, exactly. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I, I think... I, I definitely think that the the trilogy that we're going to get for the 60th anniversary will end with Donna having her memories back. But I hope there is some kind of dialogue with the Doctor acknowledging that he shouldn't have done it and being like, well, not necessarily that he shouldn't have done it because I get why he did it, especially in Donna's case, but n- that it was non-consensual and that it's never the right thing to do, even if it's the necessary thing to do, it's never the right thing. And I think that when he then gets his memories back from Clara at the end, it's kind of, it seems like a bigger topic than they give it the time for. Cause then when Bill gifts him his memories of Clara back at the end, when she has all of this power of memory, I can't really remember, but, uh, and Clara just kind of the image he sees of Clara in his head. She's like, don't go forgetting me again. That was rude. And I was like, right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Like, I feel like it's a bigger conversation than they're giving it the space for. So I hope that with Donna in the 60s, yeah. they do have that conversation. I think that'd be really nice. I mean, I'm sure Russell T. Davies has watched every episode of Who and has been watching mm-hmm. them with some close attention, deciding what to bring and what to drop for the new series. And I feel like this will be one of the things that comes along for sure. Yeah. No, I think so too. One more high from me, if I may. Actually, I've got two final highs, but I think we agree on one of these, two of these. We both agree. We've got the same ones. <laughs> one, I'll start off as a low, but it becomes a high. So let me introduce this as a low and you make it a nice one. Okay. <laughs> the photo of River on his desk is a screen grab from an episode. <laughs> this bothers me. I <laughs> don't love this. Like, I think it's her in the wedding of River Song or the doctor's wife or something, something called something like that. And it's literally a screenshot from that episode. And it's obviously a screenshot from that episode as well. It's one of those where it's not possible that that photo exists because not only is a screen grab from an episode, but it is a, an image from a possible reality that never happens because it all occurs in that timeline where a fixed event is disrupted and, do you know what I mean? Do you remember yeah. that one? So no, yeah, it's, yeah, a, no, it's a yeah, picture yeah, no, that can't exist. And it's really yeah. annoying that they didn't just find some unused 
promo image of Alex Kingston or just ask her for a selfie in costume or something <laughs> because it's, it's jarring to me. The picture of Susan on the desk, I really like though. Yeah, no, I love the picture. So, you know, I, I have gone on about this on the podcast before, but I hate when they do that, it, when they go to the Black Archive and they have pictures of like Rose in the alternate universe and turn left and uh, pictures of Amy and Rory inside the TARDIS and the Doctor's wife. Like it, it just feels... Again, I don't want to say cheap. I know I keep saying it. I know I keep saying lazy. I know I keep talking about it, but that's how it kind of feels. However, um, I, as you said about turning a low into a high, um, I think we both agree that the doctor, he's obviously settled himself at the university. And I think that it's a really nice setting. You always will have Adventure of the Week and you'll always have the TARDIS going to amazing places in the past, present, and future. But I think it, it kind of harkens back to the 70s, like when the Doctor was grounded at unit for me, having him grounded at a school, like in the university. And he's obviously settled himself there and having things like all of the different sonics in the jar and the picture of his wife and the picture of his granddaughter. Like, I think that that was a really nice thing that if you, you know, were a casual viewer of the show, you wouldn't necessarily get it and that's fine. But then for the people who are along for the entire ride, you see it and you're like, ah. I know what he's doing there. Yeah, I feel like it almost would have had more impact if they'd just shown it once or maximum twice, but they keep doing close-ups of these photos mm. in a very heavy-handed way as fan service that's like not delivered gently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, I agree with you. I think it's really nice that, I guess, after losing and forgetting Clara, he's making, I guess, a sort of effort to remember other people that he's loved very dearly. However, maybe a little bit of a shame that from... The many people that he's loved, he picked just two, but I suppose his granddaughter and his wife would be the, the two people that he would pull out of that lineup. They'd be the two you, you pick. Did you notice um, this? I was going to save this for my fun facts, but did you notice on the desk there is a little wooden model of a raven and that's his subconscious... <sighs> Uh, remembering Clara so he can't have a photo of Clara because he at this point in the story he doesn't remember her but obviously Clara or, or the sort of Clara that we know died in Face the Raven and uh, so he has a little wooden model of a raven on his desk and it's a little note to like the, his wow. subconscious memory of Clara I mean I'm glad actually that so much time has passed since he lost Clara because I think he must have been inconsolable and <laughs> it feels right that, first of all, I think the Doctor spent like 29 years with River in a hotel in Derillia <laughs> and then spent 70 years lecturing. I'm glad that amount of time has passed for him to grieve because yeah. can you imagine like the feeling of grieving someone who is missing from your life who you were deeply, deeply in love with and you can't even remember what they looked like, sounded like, the things you did together, you can only remember them by the gaps That's, they left and the places you know you went together. It's a horrible idea. So That's heart-wrenching. Yeah, I'm glad there's something there to remember her by. Yeah, no, me too, me too. What was your, what was your second high? My second high was when the doctor goes back to take pictures of Bill's mum because yeah. she says she doesn't have very many of her. And this later has a payoff. Um, I thought this was such a lovely performance as well from Pearl Mackey when her foster mama finds a box of pictures at the back of the wardrobe and says she didn't even know they were there. She says it in the most kind of nonchalant way, like, oh, I didn't even know these pics were there. Here you go. And this is a huge deal for Bill because Bill has been, you know, creating 
false quotes from her mother to imagine the kind of person she was. She says, oh, I'm told that I look like her, but I wouldn't know. She died when I was a baby and her dad's clearly not in the picture. So no parents, foster mother, you know, they've obviously got a fairly good relationship, but it doesn't seem very nurturing. Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel comfortable being out to her foster mum. And I just love that performance with her kind of sitting on the bed, kind of taking the time to look at every picture individually and you know, tearing up while she looks at them and really paying attention to the details. It's an amazing performance when she's crying and, and literally the tears are dripping off of her face. Like, it's an amazing performance. Yeah, I, I really love that. And I just, I like the contrast between how casual her foster mum is giving her the photos and then that she's kind of shut herself away in her room to take the time to really look at the details of these pictures of her mom and really soak it in and then noticing that the doctor is in the mirror in one of the photos and I guess at this point hasn't been able to put two and two together about how that's possible and a good payoff quite a bit later as well with the two-parter with the monks mm-hmm. but uh that's a long way off yet <laughs> we'll have to come back. I actually rewatched those recently um I think it was a trilogy of episodes and they're they were better than I remembered as well I'd, I'd want to rewatch this whole season because this whole season I think will be better than I remember watching it um which yeah, is definitely why how not? I felt why about. not? We've got time. We've got time. And uh, that is definitely how I felt about watching the pilot. I, I really, really enjoyed this rewatch. It was a re- more so than I think any episode we've done for Hulala. This was much more of a fresh set of eyes for this. And I really felt like I was consuming this almost as a new viewer rather than someone like going back on something that I love. Yeah. One last high, if I may slip one in, I'm sorry, we are, we are running over a little and we're dripping to death and I'm desperate to get the fan <laughs> back on. But I just wanted to highlight a couple of really good comedy moments because I think Stephen Moffat can write some really good comedy. Peter Capaldi's run really makes me laugh and I wasn't sure if they were going to pick up on it because I couldn't remember, but he does a hilarious sprint, hilarious alarmed sprint. And after he finishes that sprint to the puddle, she says, why do you run like a penguin with his ass on fire? And he says, ergonomics. And it's like, that's a good line. <laughs> And then there's a bit where he says, off you go, off you pop, go and be a proper student, beer snogging, a vegan rap. I really liked that. I thought it was quite funny. Zingers. Yes. One piece of dialogue I did not like that I thought landed quite poorly was the opening chips dialogue where she talks about how she accidentally fattened up someone that she fancied. Um, Has potential to be really funny, but as our introduction to Bill, I didn't love it. It feels like it's probably something that was in the first draft that they tried to make work and it just didn't quite land for me. There was something in there about like, oh, she's the sort of person that you looked at her and you perved. I didn't get that at all. I didn't understand what that means. I didn't like that. Like the whole like using the word perving. I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that works. And Doctor Who's generally got like this thing with like, chips how it's like this drawing like there's this attempt i think at like a relatableness with chips and oh it's sometimes done in this like really really like yeah sometimes it feels too obviously an attempt to be like i don't know like there's like an attempt at like a working class relatableness with like you love chips too you know chips I, I, I can't explain what that is. I can't articulate, but you know what I mean by that. No, it I doesn't, completely it doesn't I get what you me. mean. It doesn't always... There's the whole thing, you know, with Rose. Is that I keep hearing parallels about Rose and Bill, where, like, Rose was the dinner lady and, and Bill works in the canteen and chips yeah, and chips it, and chips, like, all that kind of it stuff. It felt like it was in a bit of an attempt at RTD-style dialogue with kind of that relatable everyday interaction yeah. and grounding her in a similar way they did with Rose. But 
he doesn't quite seem to have the touch with that. Like you said, Stephen Moffat is great at doing fantastical fairy fairy tale tale writing. He's not as good, I don't think, at those kind of like believable everyday moments. He's Mm. much better at doing dialogue that doesn't feel grounded in the real world, but just dialogue that's just fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it was a weird, he, he had some great lines in this one, but that was definitely one of the weirder ones. Yeah. Alistair. Yes. Coming off the back of that, are you ready to play another game of Camp or Damp? Woohoo! Yeah, baby! I'm not going to scream too loud because it's beyond 11 p.m. That's fine. Yeah! That's fine. Alistair, making eyes at a puddle, Camp or Damp? Oh, making eyes at a puddle. That's pretty camp. That's pretty camp. I'll I'll, I'll sign that one off. (laughs) Like, that one passes the vibe check. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, running like a penguin with its ass on fire, camp or damp? Running like a penguin with its ass on fire. Um, yeah, the run itself is pretty camp, um, especially like in his kind of frilly velvet outfit mm. and the kind of look of alarm on his face as he does it uh, with his <laughs> arms tucked in very close to his sides. Very funny. Uh, pretty camp. Pretty camp. I think that passes the vibe check too. And finally, Bill being a feeder. She fatted her. not her feeder era uh not her feeder kink i listen no kink shaming on the pod uh i i think that i fatted her i mean can you imagine as well being the person who was cast to to be three seconds on screen no speaking i looked up and realized she was fat that's the only description you've got and all she does is turn up with a tray receive a plate full of chips and wink I, you know, I'm going to give it a no on this one. I'm not, I'm not sure about this one. Not sure if we're still kind of calling people fat in the current year. So I'm going to say no on that one. It's the kink shaming for me. (laughs) Well, Alistair, would you like a couple of fun facts for the pilot? Oh, go on. Well, the sonic screwdriver that Matt Lucas uses during this episode is in fact the fourth Doctor Tom Baker's uh, sonic screwdriver. And Tom Baker was the narrator for Matt Lucas's hit series, Little Britain. So it was a little nod to his show. Oh, that is weird. I never put that together. I never realised Tom Baker was narrating that. That's really odd. Did you not? Oh my God, I like. it's like... We are in no, I never Britain. Knew that. I mean, now I'm now I'm thinking back to it. I can hear it, but that's really strange. Have you just realised that he was that. the narrator? That's so fun. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's very odd. <laughs> Do you think Tom Baker finds Little Britain funny? No. <laughs> no, I actually think <laughs> he, he just does. turns up. He does the lines, and he. No, I actually think he probably out. does because he also did the US one, the Little Britain US. I think I think he probably does. I think he, I think he probably has like a wicked sense of humour that we don't necessarily know about. Another fun fact. Well, this is not so much a fun fact as a fun theory. So Bill and Heather's romance may likely be an allusion to the first Dr. William Hartnell. Now, Hartnell was often referred to uh, by the affectionate nickname Bill, and his wife was called Heather. So that was Bill and Heather. Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah, I hope that's true. I don't know if it's a, if it's a steadfast fact, but I think it's, it's fun. Oh, no, that's really nice. I like that. I mean, Bill is also, I think, just a really nice name. I think it was quite a fun name to give... Uh, a female companion. I mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. Bill's foster mother, 
played by Jennifer Hennessy, had previously appeared in Doctor Before in the episode Gridlock, where she played Valerie. Of course she did. I didn't put that together, but now you've said it, I can't unsee it. When I was watching it, I was like, I know I know you. I was like, I know I know you from something and I could not put my finger on what it was. And then in doing a bit of research for this, I was like, that's what I know you from, Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the original title for this episode was going to be called A Star in Her Eye, which I actually think is really sweet. I didn't really talk about it in my notes for the episode, but I thought that the whole thing of uh, the heterochromia, but it came out as a star in her eye and Bill making a point where she was saying, like, how can it be a defect if it looks like a star? I I thought that was so cute. Oh, yeah, it kind of works. I quite like that one. This might be one again where we get called out where there was like a working title (laughs) and we said it was a previous unused episode title and we got DMs. We did. We, we got, got the told DMs. that we were wrong for that one. We got told. Uh, and uh, I'd love as well. We've talked about this as a joke, as a joke before that we could do a corrections and clarifications segment one day where we put together all <laughs> of the corrections <laughs> that we've ever been sent. I but I don't think we've had too many. No. We do our research. And if we get it wrong, you can blame the good folks over at the TARDIS wiki. Exactly. You know what? I actually had a look lately. At, um, adding things to the TARDIS wiki hard by the way not easy to get yourself in you editor. have to code it don't um, you have to code it it's I think it's tricky I'm not sure how exactly it works I mean I had looked through some of the how to's and I couldn't work it out because I thought I wonder if anyone's ever going to add you know real life pages for Gallifrey Cabaret and <clears throat> a lot and I <laughs> couldn't see uh, couldn't see a way to do any of that I thought it'd be funny I know but um, if, if anyone has permissions please feel free to chuck us in there there definitely are like I've been on TARDIS Wiki and seen a couple of the guests that we've had on our podcast they have their own uh, no, TARDIS really? Wiki pages they really do Georgia Cook has a TARDIS Wiki page um, I'm not sure if like Beth does I'll have to look into the others but I, I anyone listening if you have any control as to what happens at TARDIS Wiki the best queer Doctor Who podcast that you may or may not currently be listening to should have a spot just saying oh my god if you can send us evidence that you've added a wiki page for hulala pod i will give you a mars bar that is my trade-off <laughs> uh, and i will and i say that. mars bar because we are an unfunded non-commercial project <laughs> <laughs> and we don't we don't monetize so listen uh, that's all you, we can you're do getting you right this now. For free. otherwise you can have a little kiss yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little kiss. <laughs> I don't think people want that option. I think they'd prefer the Mars bar, so I'm I'm just offering that instead. I'll take the Mars bar. Oh well Alistair, did you enjoy this episode overall? I really did. It was a fun one for a Sunday night to keep the Sunday scaries at bay by mm. putting our attention on something else. And yeah, as you say, like I, I got a lot more joy out of it than I thought I would, a lot more highs than I expected. And I really feel bad that we haven't talked about Bill more before this and that we hadn't been to the Capaldi era as well yet is really shocking. 33 episodes in, but the universe is just so big and there's so much to cover. I know, you can only do so much. And I'm really glad that, much as I loved our, our walkthrough of Series 1, that we're now able to kind of jump around the Hooniverse a bit and, and have a look at all things. But definitely uh, a much more steadfast Bill Stan over here. Yes, me too. And we'll definitely talk about her more as we go on through the month. Through the rest of Pride Month, we will. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to another Pride episode of Hula La. As always, please keep the conversation going. Either put us on Tyler's Wiki please <laughs> or you can reach out to us on our twitter instagram and tiktok all of which are at hulala pod you can also rewatch old episodes of the podcast also at hulala pod 
And if you have a moment, we would really appreciate your reviews on whichever podcast service you are using, Spotify, Apple, or something else. Five stars are strongly encouraged. We really appreciate it. And it helps us find other Doctor Who fans to share the love with. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week when we continue our Pride celebrations. Look after yourselves, drink lots of water, be well. And stay cool. And maybe, maybe not Stay wet. cool. Maybe don't stay wet. Not too wet. Avoid puddles. <laughs> see you next week. See ya.